Welcome to episode 182 of the Dive Down, Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from a few miles west of here, it's the godfather, Dave Harbarger. Back from vacation and back into quarantine, it's me, Dave. And this time I'm not sick. This time it is everybody else in my house that is sick. So I'm in my basement hiding out. Where you belong. Well, Yeah, where I belong, hoping I don't catch COVID again for the second time in three weeks. So uh, yeah, here I am. Looking forward to having doing literally anything to take my mind off of everything that's going on upstairs right now. Yes, Dave is here. Shane is not. Shane's on vacation. He's in the Pacific riding a dolphin into the sunset. So to fill his very comfortable seat, we have a returning guest, friend of the show. You know him. You love him. He's the leader of the NRG Series leaderboard. It's Zach Allen. Hey, Zach. Hey, how you guys doing today? We're doing so good. It's it's nice to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to talk some modern today. Modern is hot. <laughs> and that's what this week's show is about. It's a little bit of a rehash. If you heard last week's episode featuring Tandy all about the Pioneer metagame, what you should know, what you should play, and maybe what you should avoid, we're doing the a similar thing today with a modern twist trying to figure out what people can be thinking about as they prepare for their local RCQs if they're playing modern to try to get into DreamHack Atlanta. So we've invited Zach to help us do a check-in on the state of the modern format, figure out what's good based on recent results, what we think is evergreen, what Zach likes, maybe find out what Zach is playing. Well, I won't be playing this week, but uh, I will. I mean, I'm happy to talk about the deck I would register, yeah. I have an inkling of what you might like from your recent <laughs> results, but I'm, I'll be curious to hear if you're if you're sticking with it or going a different way. So uh, sure, sure. get into it. But um, yeah, and you you actually have a tournament that you wanted to talk about this weekend, uh, and I assume that you might not be playing because you'll be running it. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So um, you know, just wanted to mention off the top uh, this weekend. So seven sixteen uh, for those looking for an actual date. We're having an RCQ. Uh, at my store, Galactic Toys in Grand Rapids. It's the biggest one like on this side of the state. So um, if you're kind of in that Midwest area and want to play some modern this weekend while queuing for the Pro Tour, uh, you should come check it out. Absolutely. And if you've never been to Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids is a very cool city. Uh, I've been through there a few times. I love Michigan, the west side of Michigan, despite some things I might have said the last <laughs> time I was on the show talking about Michigan. But that, that's just because I'm from Ohio, so I have that fun Ohio-Michigan animosity sometimes. But uh, it's great. Definitely a rivalry between the two states for sure. There is. But, but we can have friendship on that on this podcast. So, oh, absolutely, Zach. What's your shop like? I mean, is it uh, is it going to be a really big RCQ? Is it? I'm imagining if you're there, it's going to be super competitive, and people are there because they mean business. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an RCQ. Like you're going to qualify for the Pro Tour, right? Like that's the the purpose of it. Um, the shop I'm at is. Uh, Pretty big, actually. It's gigantic. We just spent a lot of time upgrading it so we could get WPN premium. So we got like brand new tables, brand new chairs. It looks pretty sweet. So I've got some people uh, trying to put together a coverage team this week. Got uh, I don't know if anybody knows my friend Stephen Dykeman asked if he could do it yesterday. So I think uh, we'll probably have him doing it and trying to try to find him a partner. Um, so you'll be able to watch it too if you're out there. Uh, see some some people uh, try to play modern and qualify for what I guess is a pro tour. I don't. 
DreamHack Atlanta is like not a pro tour, but like kind of a pro tour. Yeah. It, a lot of prizes at it. So. I, I think you're qualifying for a chance to qualify for the pro tour. Okay. Right now. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it feels to me like it is more of just the, um, when they ended the pro tour right before COVID hit, where they had like the regional pro tours, where there was like one in Europe, one in Japan and one in uh, the U S I think it was Phoenix. Maybe um, it feels kind of like that where it's like a mini regional pro tour. Mm-hmm. So Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if it's not the actual pro tour, I think there's a ton of prizes on. I think they they put a bunch of money for it, and um, I don't know, cool cool event to play in, regardless. That's awesome. By the way, Stephen, who you just mentioned, did Stephen win the the RCQ that you were at yesterday, Stan, in uh, in Evanston, in Chicago? I, I believe he did. Yeah, I think he won on Monterey Obosh. Actually, is that right, Stan? Yeah, no, that is right. Yeah, and uh, right after he won, he was playing to play the event. Right after he won, he's like, I'm, I can do commentary now. No, that's in. awesome we got you it's gonna be sweet <laughs> fantastic wow. but yeah he's uh he's been really working on pioneers so um so he took down a big event yesterday crushed it he'll be in atlanta i saw a couple other people qualify too this is this is getting exciting again it's been a long time since we had something like this in magic it's cool to see people qualify you know do you have ambitions of of trying to qualify for the regional championship oh i'm certainly gonna try uh, I'm not going as hard as I probably would have gone five or six years ago, but um, I, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, all the energy events have qualifiers at them. I'm kind of locked into going to those now just based on uh, how the first part of the season has gone for me so far. So, Yeah, and the unbelievable showing in June in particular. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good weekend for me. Yeah, that one, that one went well. Yeah. But I, I had some frustrating ones before that, so uh, it, was, it was good to actually kind of get get on a little bit of a hot streak there for a little bit. So that's awesome. So yeah, if you're in the Midwest, if you're in Western Michigan, you want to check out Zach's, the story that Zach works at seven sixteen. you're doing, it's a modern RCQ, right? Yep. It's modern. modern. And what's the name of the story again? Galactic toys. Perfect. All right. Check it out. All right. So we're going to hop into, uh, the you modern- don't even have to be in Western Michigan, right? Like you can be in parts of Canada. You can be in, uh, Eastern Indiana, Western Ohio, like we've got a highway. You can be in system. Chicago. It's not a it's not a far drive from Chicago. I bet some of the Chicago grinders are gonna find their way over there as well. Oh, I'm sure they will. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, um, you know, I think we could definitely have a lot of people. I, I know some people from Indiana already said they were gonna come up. Indiana is just the Midwest in general is a really big modern state. I just can remember five, ten years ago, it's like any any event that was modern in the Midwest was like guaranteed to be a thousand plus people. Like any of the big yeah. events. We, we just love it here, you know? All right, we're going to get into more of that in just a minute. But first, let's do some very quick housekeeping. We got some great Patreon activity. New patron, Matthew M. Joined us. Matt is a local to Chicago, actually. He topped Ford. Um, he came in fourth at the Evanston RCQ. So congrats, Matt, on a 60-card Elementals deck. With like a weird Kahira transformative sideboard. No Kahira game one, Kahira games two. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so congrats, Matt, and thank you for joining the Dive Down Nation. And also thanks to Anders B for going up a tier in their support. Appreciate everyone. If you'd like to support the show, you can join us over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic with a Mana Trader subscription. Use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN15 to get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And if you're playing an NRG or if you just want to save some money on cards, you can use coupon code DIVE8 to get 8% off any order from Nerd Rage Gaming. That's right. 
it, it was true last week. It's still true. The official podcast of the Nerd Rage series. Zach, I don't know if you heard, but uh, you're contractually obligated to talk to us now whenever we put a microphone in front of you at one of these Nerd Rage trials. Look, man, if you guys want to come and uh, see me there, I'll be there. I'm, uh, I'm locked in. I'm all put in the calendar. It'll be fun. Yeah, we'll definitely be there for that one. Um, yeah, and like, like Shane and Sam talked about last week, or we talked about last week, I talked about last week through time travel before I went on vacation. Um, you know, you can expect to see us popping up around the series and do us doing event breakdowns and things like that. But use that code, like we said, if you want to get a discount and help uh, Nerd Rage Gaming, one of the stores that I think is helping save paper competitive play through a great regional series. All right. So let's hop into it from here. Uh, we talked a little bit of a couple of minutes ago about what's going on with RCQs, but for people who don't know, this is kind of week two of the RCQ season for DreamHack Atlanta. It's the first step on the path to the new Pro Tours that we talked about. Um, you know, qualifying events can be of kind of any format like we talked about. In Atlanta, it's Pioneer ultimately, but there has been a lot. I know there's been some sealed tournaments. I know there's there, you know there's been Pioneer ones, and there's certainly been a lot of modern tournaments where people are trying to qualify for for moving up to the regional qualifier from here. Um, it felt like there was a lot of excitement. You know, Zach, you said that you were excited. People were qualifying for things. It seemed like there was just a lot, a lot of talk. Do you, and um, do you feel like a lot of your kind of friends who are into competitive magic are starting to re-engage a little bit more recently, or what, what do you think is going on there? Oh, I, yeah, definitely. Um, I haven't seen, like, you know, there was a bunch of big magic tournaments before COVID, but there really, you know, there, there were some in the last three years, but not very many. And locals especially had been smaller just in general. Um, and I played one of the first RCQs uh, the last week. I think it was like July 3rd for the holiday. And uh, it was like an 80, per, like it capped at 80 people. It's a pioneer event. It was really, you know, and people seem to be just excited to battle against their friends again there. You know, like it, it, it's the, it's like the, the driving local event that magic players have wanted for a while. They kind of got rid of the PPTU system a while ago and it just hasn't really felt like there's been a stage like this at the local scene. And, oh man, it's great to have it back. Yeah. I think one thing that's really interesting too, is that it feels to me a little bit, I'm mostly a moto player for what it's worth. You know, I don't get out of the house a ton. I live in, I stay in my basement to hide from my family and, um, I uh, even the moto leagues have a lot more people in them than they have lately. So Pioneer, every time I go in there, has about nine hundred people, which I think is it's you know it's triple probably what it was before the DreamHack was uh, you know the Pro Tours announced as a Pioneer format. But even more surprisingly to me is that Modern last night I heard from some people I didn't have a chance to log into Magic Online myself. What had more than seventeen hundred people in the league last night, which is up quite a bit from, for example, when we did our last people's meta episode, where we really talk about, you know, the full, you know, dissect a deck dump. No, it it had been hovering around 12 to 1400 people. So I think there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that people are pretty excited about both pioneer and modern as formats right now, which is great. Oh yeah. And to be fair, pioneer is in an awesome place right now. It just feels like a fresh format, a good format. Um, had a really surprise banning kind of out of nowhere on uh, expressive iteration and Winota. And, uh, you know, I'm usually pretty critical of wizards banning announcements, but I think they nailed that one. They got that. So right. And it's made the format great. Um, in my opinion, there's still some stuff they could do maybe, but it's, it's in a really good place. It's fun to play. Um, the, the matches feel interactive and back and forth, and it doesn't really feel like any specific archetype is too dominant at this point. Maybe, 
maybe the Phoenix decks and the green decks are a little strong, but I think it's kind of within the normal range of like a, a best deck. So I think that format's really cool. Um, and modern is just, uh, modern is starting to feel a little stale, but it's still a great format. Lots of interactive games, um, lots of really skill intensive format right now, which. That was one thing I wanted to ask you kind of off the top is, you know, as someone who is a long time, like known lover of modern as a format, do you, what do you think the character of modern is right now? Like, do you think it's, it's skill intensive or where do you think, what do you think it, it, it kind of is at a high level? What's driving the format? Well, so I actually, feel, this is the closest modern has ever felt to a standard format to me, which is kind of weird to say, but it's just so much narrower than modern formats of the past where modern has kind of always had a best deck, but there's always been tons of different decks kind of in the, the tiers of it. And right now it doesn't really feel like there are, it kind of feels like there's only three real archetypes you can play, in my opinion, maybe four. Um, and that's kind of how standard typically feels, right? Where there's True. three to four like main decks, and then you know they'll, they'll go through iterations and changes week to week or whatever. Um, you know, play some some different things, but it, it kind of feels like you, you're just picking an archetype and you know, trying to build it for that weekend. And that's just how standard always felt. And I think a lot of like the, the really good players in Magic history would tell you standard's always been one of the most skill intensive formats. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to like. Um, just get a big edge on a format that small than it is in like a larger format where you just can't physically prepare for as many decks with a 15 card sideboard. So when it narrows down, it just kind of gives you more options, more ways to attack, gives you more stuff you can kind of do for those matchups. And it's, it's made it a tough place to win at the moment. In my opinion, it's uh, people out there taking advantage of that have been doing really well. I'd love to hear more about what you think these three to four main archetypes are in the format. Because although I agree kind of like with the spirit of your point about how modern feels standard-esque, especially because of the impact of MH2. Yeah, MH2 is a big part of that. Sort of just defining essentially every deck. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very big part of why it's standard, right? It's like it's, you know, it is coming from 20 years worth of sets, but, you know, a lot of the format is coming from just two sets. So, you know, people say it's Horizon's block constructed or whatever, and it's um, not quite that, but there's definitely some truth to that sentiment. Can I guess what you think the top archetypes are? Sure. Is it Elementals, Murktide, and the two Cascade decks? Yeah. So I just, Rhinos? Well, yeah, I kind of like lump them into just larger categories, but it kind of just defines those three decks anyway. I mean, there's the Cascade decks, which are, you know, you choose Rhino's Living End, whatever, but they're both trying to cast this three-mana spell that's totally unfair when it's a game, essentially, and then pairing that with a bunch of free spells, which is um, an effective strategy if you look at Magic's history. Free spells plus win-the-game spell for three-mana is a good <laughs> good strategy. Um, then there's just any Yorion deck, I'd say. just Yorion is the best companion left um, in the format, and the companion mechanic is just broken. Yeah. So any, any deck that's playing Yorion... Um, is going to be uh, you know, in a good spot to, to win in this format, essentially. You need to do certain things to take advantage of that. Right now, four color is probably the best, but I've seen some like Yorion, um, Urza, like Affinity builds that have done pretty well. Um, and I'm sure you, you, know, you could build some other Yorion decks that could have success, but I don't know. I think that's just a category to itself. And then I put Ragamon decks as the third, um, mostly blue-red Murktide, but I do think that just any deck playing Ragavan can win. That, that card is just outrageous. 
Um, Grix's so, shadow. So maybe sure. when you're thinking about it that way, it's like Grix's shadows in there. These mono red Obosh decks that we mentioned earlier, like on the fringes of that, are kind yeah. of in there too. Although you know, M Hayashi sometimes doesn't have doesn't have Ragavan in, in his builds, and sometimes does. But I imagine most people who are going to consider taking that to an RCQ are going to want to play their Ragavans. Yeah. Um, okay, so Ragavan decks. And I mean, th- that's it, in my opinion. The only other like sort of deck in that that I guess hierarchy I'd consider is Yawgmoth, which is like kind of the fourth mm-hmm. to me. Um, you know, I I guess maybe if you want to say Yawgmoth, you can say green combo because you can make an argument for Amulet as well. Although I don't feel like Amulet's in a great spot, but mm-hmm. um, it still just has explosive draws like you can win with the deck. So I, I guess if you want to give it a fourth category, there's the green creature combo decks. I don't, I don't know. Probably will play this creature combo, land creature combo, whatever. <laughs> yep. Green. Yeah. Green combo decks. So, um, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I mean, it's, it's funny cause I haven't talked to too many people. I mean, when you look at the results of, for example, like, uh, SCG con Syracuse, right. Mm-hmm. Which is the event that happened today. Today's July 10th. Um, you know, you still see the kind of normal list of decks in the distribution that you expect in the wider metagame. Like, the most players are playing Murktide. Then there's sure. a lot of people on Burn is the next one. And then Yorian slots in there. And then because it's paper, you still have people holding on to Amulet Titan, even though I think online that's gotten less popular recently. Grixis Death Shadow, Rhinos, like you said, Living End. It kind of falls off from there. So that this, you know if I look at the list of all the decks that are above 2% of the metagame, which is what I have in our, our notes for what it's worth, it's, um, you know, it's kind of the normal spread of decks that you see, but I do think when you start thinking about these in those kind of super archetypes of the four things that you just listed out, um, you know, it's interesting to kind of chunk it up in that way. And I, I'd love to kind of go through each one of those and kind of talk about what the, um, why you might pick to play one of those on a weekend, why you think you might not pick to play one of those on a weekend and kind of what, what the options people might be thinking about as they consider those decks for RCQs. Sure. Yeah, let's do it, man. Yeah. It sounds awesome. The place we have to start when we start talking about modern right now is with the four color Omnath, Yorian, all that kind of area of the decks that are still most effectively abusing the companion mechanic, I think. And I guess the first question I wanted to ask you about this, Zach, is, you know, I think a lot of people still have this feeling that four-color Blink and, to an extent, four-color Elementals, you know, the way that they're kind of cousins to each other, is is really the tier zero deck. Do you think that it is a cut above all these other decks, or do you think they're all together? Do you think that... Um, you know, whenever we're thinking about modern all, we have to start thinking about Yorian first. Yeah, I think I think there are other decks that are on Yorian's level, um, the four color Yorian specifically. Like, I think there's some on its level, but I think it is meta defining. I guess I'd say um, it is an eighty card deck, obviously playing tons of powerful cards, so it has the most room to change week to week if you want to do that um, and like combat a certain meta. It just has all these tools it could add to it if you think that that's right for the week. So, um, like, it is, there are, I think it is the best deck. I don't think it's by a wide margin. Um, and I think, like, if, for example, using this as a week to attack graveyards and you're, like, playing a four-pillar deck with a bunch of Endurance as main and then you're playing against Rhinos, now all of a sudden you got a bunch of three-mana three-fours and they have a bunch of three-mana 
two four fours, which is like, you know, three, four lines of horribly there. So, um, you know, it, it kind of just depends on how the deck's built that weekend, like what it can be. And it, it, it feels like it, you know, it, it is the best deck. So it has a fighting chance in every matchup, no matter how you customize it. But there are certainly weeks you can take advantage of it. And, that, you know, there are weekends where it's not doing great. And I think that's when people don't have the, the build right that weekend. Yeah. I mean, I think generally most weeks we see it doing pretty well. Although I think it's interesting to note that at, just as an example, at the SCG Con 30K, both four-color Blink and four-color Elementals were sub-50% decks, even though four-color Blink won the event in the hands of uh, Yicheng Jiang. They, um, you know, it was a 49% deck. It was 6% of the field for Blink. And then four-color Elementals was 2.5% in the field with 48% win rate, uh, which is pretty interesting. I, I do think one thing, as someone who doesn't play this deck very much and um, certainly doesn't love being matched up against it, when I do run into it, you know, it's funny, on Magic Online, you you don't see this deck all the time, all the time, when there isn't an all-access pass, because it's so expensive to play it. So I think it's hard for people to rent it, honestly, or even a, a lot of times. But this, um, there's been a lot of iteration in this in the deck with different plans you know if you consider elementals to be a cousin deck to this as i as i kind of think that it is you know the weekends where there's more elementals or a lot of elementals and then the weekends when there's less and, and essentially those decks are running risen reef you know lately there's been this traverse the ulenwald package that's been showing up in some of the builds here and there I, i've seen some that are trying to do a combo finish whether it's um you know felidar's guardian and sahili or something different to kind of end the game bring to light scape shift i've seen occasionally and then emrakul the promise and even just as a piece of kind of like anti-mirror tech do you think that this kind of evolution in four color is dr driven more by trying to outfox other four color players or do you think it's more about trying to fit for what you were talking about trying to anticipate where the rest of the meta is going to go yeah i mean it's, it's kind of a like a, a delicate dance right like when you're playing the deck you're like well i need to be conscientious of mirrors because <laughs> this deck is a yorian deck it's 80 cards you are actively aiming to shuffle on every single one of your turns like the when the deck's humming you have a run and six and play and you're fetching every single turn so like it ends up just taking forever to play this deck um, so you have to be prepared for mirrors because there's this weird like time constraint makes it so that winning game one is extra valuable. So like, you know, you, you kind of have to make these decisions like, do I even sideboard for the mirror? Because like um, the games can be so long that winning game one is like the only thing that matters anyway. And then so like you'll see them playing Emrakul the Promise and Main, even though the card is just actively awful in most of the other matchups because it's like, you know, so they they have to make. Um, you have to make these decisions when you're registering the deck, and it's um, when when the deck goes all in to combat the mirror and like take the mirror really um, really seriously. It's a really good week to exploit it. That was what I found when I was when I was testing. It was just like I hope uh, other people aren't like going to exploit me playing Emrakul and just play a bunch of mono red this weekend. But mm -hmm. um, and is that the best way to exploit four color? Do you think it's 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 a surprising thing to me that people often tell me that Burn has a good matchup against it because Omnath feels like it would make the burn matchup so bad, but it's just, it's just getting under it the best way to attack four color generally, you feel? Yeah, I mean, you can get under it with, with burn for sure. Um, some prowessy builds can get under it too. Um, and then there's just a bunch of like unfair decks that are going to do it pretty well too, like um, Belcher or I guess I'd maybe put Tron in that category. Like those kind of decks are just going to 
do something so powerful so quickly that it just doesn't let four color get its like loopy value engines going and just beat it before that happens. Um, and then you can beat it with like, uh, you know, we saw it recently, Will Kruger in the mocks. You can beat it with uh, like land-based strategies. Valakit Amulet can be pretty good against it in certain weeks, depending on how four colors built. Um, and yeah, so there are ways to beat it, but the problem with those, like it tends to be like any way that is good at beating this deck is like pretty bad against uh, the blue-red decks and the, the Cascade decks. So it, those decks do a really, really good job of like protecting each other's weaknesses, in my opinion. Interesting. And that's why they kind of float to the top of the meta. Yeah, a- anecdotally, after playing a bunch of Burn and Murktide leagues the last few weeks, Burn is actually the only deck that I've been able to beat four color with. Um, just by like being a little faster, hoping they don't draw into Omnath and their 80 card deck and post board like relying on um, you know, skull crack effects to keep them from like Yorianing me into the ground. Because that's really the, o- the only card I'm like truly, truly scared of. Like if they're getting to the point where they've hard casted solitude, I-, I think the game has already left me. Probably the the solitude thing is pretty accurate like once one's in play you're probably gonna lose but um you're aiming to win before then and that's why you know you say omnath and it's like yes the games where you get an omnath going against burn like you win every time omnath is so good there but um it takes a while to get omnath down in the deck and you probably just because of how the mana set up you probably fetched three or four times and maybe one of them might have been a shock like you don't even want a shock against burn but the four color just has intense mana requirements. So you end up like having to shock and like fetch shock with Matic ending on one, fetch shock, play Ren plus on turn two. And it's like, all right, you know, I, I have this card that's really good against them, but if I don't get there, it doesn't matter. And when you're starting the game at 14 or whatever, it's it's tough. That's not very much for burn. That's what like one attack from a creature and four spells. Um, so yeah, I mean they can definitely get under you. Um and you know. I've just had it enough where it's like you can't gain life with Omnath on four. Omnath doesn't gain life until turn five, unless right, you yeah. like growth right. spiral or something. And I've just had the experience many times where it's like, oh, I got the Omnath on four, slam it, and they'll like untap, play a second Swift Spear, bolt you, bolt you, attack lethal, right? You know, <laughs> block one, but yeah. Ah, Swift Spear. S- something else I'm curious about that you've mentioned a couple of times is like building a deck for the week, and I'm wondering how. Relevant is that for people who are playing RCQs at the local store level, where you might be more likely to encounter someone who's just like been playing the same deck for years and that just kind of has kept it updated with MH2 or is maybe less likely or, or doesn't necessarily have the resources to move around between different decks. Sure. Just has access to a couple. I think there's like two things you can kind of look at. Like what is hot, what is popular right now on Magic Online? And I think a lot of the like more grinder crowd uh, kind of follows that pretty well. So if you want to predict what like some of the stronger players in the room are playing, like you can kind of just look at magic online results. And it's like, they'll probably be playing recent lists that were successful. And that's like the meta game. So like last week's meta game is kind of what you want to prepare for this week in the winner's bracket. That makes sense. But then every store you go to for like an RCQ thing, um, stores just have their own home players. Like this just reality. Every store does. And they, a lot of local players will just have a deck they play. Um, and just, you know, kind of the nature of statistics and randomness. Like some stores just have a metagame that's concentrated in a strange way. And that's just the reality, right? Like you go and you go to some store, like that's the store where they have 
five Tron players. So like everyone's, it's like heavily concentrated Tron weekend or the, you know, the one place where everyone likes burn. So you get six burn matchups or whatever. And like, it's not like it's a hundred percent of the store, but it's just like that, you know, in that location, you know, like uh, maybe this is a weekend where I bring that extra cyborg guard for whatever deck I know people are playing here. But if you're, if you're going to an RCQ cold, let's say, you know, hypothetically it's late in the season, there's one across the state that you, you're like, I can drive there. I've never been to this store before versus going to an energy trial. How does that influence what deck you, you choose to, to play? I mean, as much as I hate <laughs> to say it, it's like, just, just play the best deck, whatever you think the best deck is. I think if you, if you actually want to win, you're giving yourself the best chance by playing one of those tier three, like the three tier zero archetypes, I guess, that I kind of mentioned earlier. Um, and if you have a ton of experience with like a good fringe deck, be it like a Yawgmoth or an Amulet or whatever, and like you just feel really, really comfortable with that deck, then by all means play that. But, you know, if you're, you're talking about going to an RCQ cold, um, I would just pick one of those three, like tier zero decks, whatever one you feel like fits your playstyle best, and then get some games in with it and just go from there. Yeah. And you're, are you configuring it? You're, you're not really trying to anticipate the meta at an RCQ the way you would at an energy though, where you're not going to try to configure like a four color for a specific tool set. Like endurance is not going to probably not going to end up main if you're just going to a, an RCQ at a store you've never gone to, for example. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's a store I've never gone to. I don't know the meta. Um, I'll probably just play like a balanced deck. Like um, I wouldn't say I'd play like a bunch of endurance as main, but you know, have, playing like one endurance main or whatever in a deck that has like Eladamri Skull or Traverse the Overworld or something, you know, that, that you can yeah, talk yourself into a lot of one ofs in a tutor deck. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, like I wouldn't go overboard and like, oh, this is the weekend for four endurances or whatever. Um, or but, I saw online that Living End is doing great. So every, every, I know, I think that every local grinder at these small shops is going to end up on Living End. That, that probably won't happen, right? But it might happen at a, at a big tournament where you all of a sudden will have a huge uptick in something like that. Yeah, in the big tournaments too, you can like kind of predict for the winner's metagame a little better. Like, you know, Magic is um, largely a game where the, the better decks tend to rise to the top. Um, so, you know, at like a big event like that, there'll probably be like one person who made it into the later rounds with their pet deck and then everyone else is playing like a tier one or two archetype. Um, and you, you know, the, the good players tend to play the better decks and then you can kind of just be prepared to play against exactly those decks in bigger events, but in local events, like you, your top eight matchups might be amulet three times. Like you never right. know, like it could be <laughs> yeah. anything. Yeah, exactly. All right. So you said that you had in mind what deck you would play. Mm -hmm. Is it still four color that you would be, that you're starting off with, or are you trying to go a different way right now personally? Oh, yeah. For me, I think I would play Four Color. Um, I've actually been impressed with Rhinos, which I wasn't two or three weeks ago, but I think Rhinos is kind of a close second to me right now. Um, but I would still play Four Color. I think um, there's like a build going around right now that's got Mishra's Bobble added to it, and um, it's playing like Traversy Ovenwald um, and some Dress Downs to like really make sure you have Delirium enabled, and then an Emrakul too. And um, I've been looking at the decks. I actually think the Traverse is pretty bad. I wouldn't um, play the Traverses, but Unholy Heat is just unbelievable. So yeah, it's yeah. an unbelievable magic card. So like, yeah. making that thing work is definitely worth it, especially in a format so so heavily defined by Ren and Six and Omnath. Like, you want your birds to deal four damage. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, I like getting four color with unholy heats. Like I think that seems like the place I'd want to be for the weekend, but um, you know, I, I think Rhinos has just been really good. And it just, this plan of play two four fours and then back him up with free spells just gets people like you don't give them a lot of time. So I think that's an effective deck too. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you know, when you're thinking about four color as the best deck in the format, do you think that every deck has potential tools that it can leverage to beat it? Or is one of the things that defines four colors power level is that it can just like stomp a bunch of strategies, even if they think they're going to like pack some mystical disputes and dress downs to in, in attempt to fight it. I mean, there are some decks that are just never going to be four color. Like, you know, I'm, pretty well-known uh, control player. And I tried to play Azorius Control for a long time. Um, but that deck's matchup against four color is just so bad. It's just <laughs> like... Yeah. You know, it, I, you know, after doing it as long as I did, I just kind of gave up. I was like, this is a lost cause. I'm just going to play the very control deck. Play yeah. some four color. At least you can play it in Pioneer now. Yep. Kinda. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for the other decks, the ones that are still here, like they are still here because they can put up a fight against four color. Like they are specifically the ones left because they have a shot. Um, and I think blue red, especially the blue red, like Ledger Shredder Ragavan decks can be a real pain for four color. Um, those matchups are always really close. I think if the blue red players know what they're doing and play well and are prepared, I actually think they're favored post board games, which I think, um, wasn't the case when they were not doing the ledger shredder stuff like the the drc decks i don't really feel like they just lost too hard to graveyard hate Mm -hmm. and now the ledger shredder just makes the deck like it gives it another non-graveyard reliant threat that like also helps them always find the right cards and keep their hand you know consistently in a good spot it's just very powerful card and i think it is doing exactly what it needed for the matchup and it really it's finally started to make uh four pillars like interaction sweet awkward where it was never really awkward against them before. But um, nowadays it's like they, they get enough big threats that you can't fury and bolt them. So you're like really relying on drawing prismatic ending and solitude. Um, but those, those like you only have eight of those in your 80 card decks. So it's like, you're not going to draw that many copies and they have a bunch of cantrips that counter spells and cantrips. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, they are going to find their things that resist your removal. So, uh, that's, that's another big part of why I want the Unholy Heats right now. But um, yeah, that, that threat base has really given them a shot to be um, quite good against four color. And then it gets the boost, like the blue red decks get the boost of Ragavan on the play. Like <laughs> there's just this, this category. I don't know. You can kind of break games of modern into two things right now. There's games where your opponent played a turn Ragavan against you. And right. now you know, you're, you're in for it. They got, you know, it's going to be easy for them for a little while here. You need to really fight back or uh, this game's over. And then there are games where they didn't play a turn on Ragavan. Um, and then Ragavan starts to look pretty bad. Yeah. So, what happened to the four color decks that were running Ragavan for a minute? I, I remember that they were, they were, tr- that was, I don't know, maybe two months ago. There were all these magic online results where I was like, oh, this is the four color blink deck, but they just have four Ragavans in it. Mm-hmm. Did, did it just not, it's just not powerful enough for that in that shell. Yeah. I just, I think it's, like, I don't think it's bad necessarily. Like I, if you told me a, a month from now, like it just came back in favor and people want to ride back in the four color decks. Like I believe you, it's just that good of a card, but yeah. Um, I think it's just not very good against a lot of what you're playing against, like what's left in the meta. Um, 
for like from four colors perspective. Yeah. I guess I'd say it doesn't really help advance the plan that you, that you're trying to do even, you yeah. know, you're not really trying to close a game aggressively. You do want to ramp like having extra mana is awesome and having extra cards that you might be able to use is great, of course, but you're not really set up to protect a cheap threat like that out of the four color deck necessarily. Yeah, yeah. You're not doing the same like Delver strategy that blue red does with it. Um, yeah. And it doesn't really fit with your like go along strategy. Like it is the type of card you really want on turn one. Right. Um, so it's not as good with the like, Four colors is going to stall and stall and stall with removal and whatever spells and then get you eventually planned. Yeah. The deck seems to have. Um, yeah. But it's just so good that it's still fine. Like, I just wouldn't be surprised if a deck showed up playing four color that had Ragavans in one. Like, it's just so good of a card. You can't ever find that surprising, I guess. Yeah, totally makes sense. So, are, are you, a, until, let's say, until new cards come out, which it, for us isn't until September. Sure. And it might only have a couple, right? Because it's a standard set. Um, all things being equal, are you playing, probably playing four color from now until something gets banned? Kind yeah. of, or, yeah. Which is a shame, because I think Yorion is one of the least fun cards to play with. I mean, it's a, it's a fun card to actually play with, like, in terms of casting it in the game, and it being in the game is fun, but just the, like, 80 card shuffle right. nonsense that it brings with it is just um, it's awful, but you know, um, I think the decks, you know, it, it's the closest tier one deck to my play style, like the way I like yep. to play. Yeah. And it is really good at what it does. So, um, pretty easy decision for me at the moment. Do people, do people hate playing four color? You think as much as it sounds like they do on Twitter every weekend that there's a big tournament, I see a bunch of tweets where they're like, I really don't ever want to play this deck again because all the shuffling and yep. all the, the mirrors and all that kind of stuff. No, I, I think that's real. I've talked to a lot of people who feel the same way about it. That it's just. Oh, it's a it's a pain to physically play, but I don't know. I mean, you, you're paying to go to an event that's right. X number of miles away from you, and I'm um, like, that's a real commitment on time and money, and there are real rewards on the line. So um, you want to play a deck that's going to give you a good shot, and that deck does. Yorion, you know, despite how annoying it is to play with, like it just is that good. It's a really really powerful card. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think that we, um, why don't we move on to, to one of the other archetypes? And um, I think that the place to, to go to next, since you were talking about uh, rhinos as being something that you were interested in as well as, why don't we talk about Cascade and those, those two decks and kind of what we think about them in the current meta, why you might pick it up, why you might pass on it for the weekend. Let's start with rhinos, since it seems like you've maybe played some of it lately, it sounds like. So you said you felt like rhinos was getting increasingly better positioned why is that right now? It just can actually beat the four-color builds out there right now. One of Rhino's biggest problems in the meta for a long time was Ephemerate uh, Solitude, where it was like, you know, if it was right, where there's like all these creature-heavy metas, um, Ephemerate Solitude is just so destructive to those decks. Like, it's so brutal to just like, oh, uh, you know, go one drop, one drop, one drop, attack, and they're just like, Play a solitude, exile a thing, ephemerate it, exile a thing, block the other thing. Like your entire board's gone for one right. mana. It, that happened to rhinos. It's like rhinos would do this thing and they'd just be like, ephemerate solitude, all right, attack you with a 3 2, attack you with a 3 2, attack you with a 3 2, while they're trying to like get back online. Yeah. Exactly. And rhinos doesn't actually recover. Rhinos is like, I mean, it can, but it's not its strong suit. Rhinos is just such a play from a head deck. Like it's, that's where it wants to be. It's why it's playing Force Negation. That's why it has these free spells. Like it's just, 
just wants to get a board and then free spell you out of the game. And in games where it doesn't do that effectively, it's not a good deck, essentially. Yeah, and its interaction is, you know, it's below rate, like, yep. essentially. So if you're playing Dent Gone, and you're playing Fire and Ice, and you're playing Bonecrusher Giant, theft. That, like, those are, the, yeah, Petty Theft, like, those are good cards. I, I Those are all good cards in, in the spaces that they make sense, but they're all more expensive than you want to be doing in Modern, just so you can have your deck work, basically. And that's the thing that I think is the most interesting difference between rhinos and living end really is that rhinos has so much more interaction built into it than living end manages to do in most most builds most of the time you know, oh, they, they have a few tricky things but yeah definitely um living end is just, like they're very similar and very different at the same time but yeah um with rhinos the other thing is like you really want creature decks to be good um because it is so effective at beating small creatures because it has those like split damage spells like fury fire ice like it, Rhinos is the deck that wants Hammer to be good, like more than any other deck in the format. And Hammer um, is not very good right now, sadly. But hey, there were four of them in the in the modern challenge today. Sure, four in the top eight. Yeah, and maybe it, it could come back. It, yeah, yeah, like it could come back, but um, it's still at the moment. I don't think it's very good deck, very well positioned. Yep. Um, but because four color isn't ephemerating very much anymore, um, Rhinos can get under the deck. It's one of the few decks that can um get under it and it doesn't lose to endurance the way that living end does so right you know you can, can just play its own endurance even yeah so um it just you know it, it just beats four color like a high enough percentage of the time that i think you can just justify registering it right now yeah yeah and i think that i mean i, I just uh i have seen some four color decks now some of those have like chalice in the sideboard, which is surprising to me as well. I, I always assumed that it was probably to try to be able to fight Rhinos with a sideboard plan, more so than, you know, being able to have their main deck fight against it, but maybe that's for other things as well. But that is a card that's more effective against Rhinos, I think, uh, you know, than Living End, for example, where you ha where you can attack the graveyard, essentially, yep. uh, and do instead. Well, and also, like, because the deck can struggle against Rhinos, like, you want the Chalices, but then... It just gives this four color deck so much hate against Living End, which is a deck I would stay away from at the moment. Um, Living End, yeah, like I, I, a lot of people played it because they said it beat four color, but I really feel like the four color players, at least recently, have responded and like started playing the Endurance's main and then having these chalices in the board and like other spells to be good against um, Living End, and it just makes it a tough world for Living End decks at the mm -hmm. moment, which um, is another reason why I think Rhinos can come back because one of Rhinos' worst matchups is actually Living End. Um, even though you can play around endurances, it's a tough matchup for that deck. So with Living End kind of taking a downturn because four colors preying on it, it just makes it the better cascade deck to uh, to register right now. Rhinos, that is. Yeah, I feel like Rhinos being the more mid rangey plan, it can sometimes use two to three interactive spells to clear the way for its combo. Like it can do a petty theft and a force negation or a Buseju and a fire and ice. Whereas like Living End is kind of limited to like just what you can get proactively with a grief and sometimes a force of negation is back up but you know occasionally you just like cycle through all your cards and then all you have is like a bunch of lands and and a cascader and that force of negation is ostensibly dead too yep and it just yeah living in just goes all in on it right like they cycle a bunch and like that's their graveyard and they're not it's not the way it used to be where living in used to be this deck where like it was exactly a cascade spell a cycler or 
uh, a land. Like those were the only things in the deck and they were really consistent about putting Lillian in play quickly with a big board. Nowadays, like a lot of the things you're putting in the yard are pitch elementals, which, um, you know, are, are great. They're great things to put or to get in your graveyard and Lillian back, but they don't cycle. So um, the deck mm. can't actually run out of resources where it never really felt like it could before. Oh, that's interesting. I never noticed that particular change would cause that to happen, but it makes sense. Yeah. So like if they go all in on doing these things and then you just endurance them, um, then your endurance comes back and then they have to rebuild and they're not actually that good at rebuilding uh, as they, you know, as they used to be. So um, yeah, I just don't, I just wouldn't be playing living in right now. I just don't feel like it's the next time. Stan, what do you think about rhinos right now? You, you were playing it for a good, good long amount of time as well. Um, I feel like it suffers from some of the living end hate because graveyard hate is not the only way to deal with living end. And I think the control decks like have enough tools to deal with cascade decks as a mechanic that Rhino suffers a little bit of splash damage. Um, though I would agree that I'd rather play Rhinos just because I think the mid rangey, more interactive plan stands more of a fighting chance than going all in. Um, though I will say if burn gets super popular, then like suddenly I feel like living end is the way to go. Cause whenever I play living end against burn, it feels like a buy. That, I, that makes sense. Yeah. Rhinos is like kind of hard or kind of has a hard time against burn and living end mm-hmm. just kind of smashes it. So. Yeah. so let's say before we kind of cl- closing out here, talking about the cascade decks right now is whether you choose to pick one of these decks up really all about what you and an- what we anticipate four color is going to do on a given weekend, right? So if, if it's still staying away from ephemerate, which seems to be the trend right now, if it's also kind of, you're not going to see a lot of burn, like Stan is saying, how's, how is rhinos against Merktide? Do we think? Uh, I think it used to be very good against Merktide. And since ledger shredder is put in, put in, I think Merktide's pretty favored against rhinos. Yeah. Ledger shredder just gives them, it used to be like, you know, right or blue red Merktide like really needed a Merktide to beat Rhinos. You got to get this guy in play so you can block the Rhinos and then get some sort of counter attack going. Um, and uh, the DRC plus Ragavan engine that blue red uses to close out games, like the, to get ahead, be ahead, and close the game, was just not effective at all against Fury and Fire Ice and Bone Crusher and, Bra- and Brazen Bar. They just had so many ways to fight those. But the Ledger Shredders can pretty easily get up to X fives against. Um, Rhinos and Rhinos has a hard time with an X5. So now that they have Merktide and Ledger Shredder, they can just block the Rhinos and then get a counter swing in the air and kill them. I also think it gets like exponentially worse for Rhinos post board. That's after probably the, true. Too. <laughs> yeah. After the Merktide player like takes out some bolts and like brings in like better counter spells and, and more surgical interaction and maybe even a couple engineered explosives, it's just like they just, the Rhinos player has to go through so much hate where the plan B of like, Fury beatdowns, I think, and, and endurance beatdowns becomes a little bit more relevant. Sure. So I, I would agree with that, and I think um, I don't know. It looks like Blue Red's pretty well positioned, but that can also just still be beat. It's just susceptible to its threats getting killed. So yeah. So if you're thinking about picking up Cascade, make sure that there isn't for some reason the people that you're going to be playing around, if it's a store you're familiar with, are still on the Ephemerate four-color plan. It's like one one thing. Another thing is, if you know that there's going to be a ton, a ton, a ton of Merktide in your meta, you might want to stay away from Cascade as well. But if you think there's going to be a lot of four-color, you might be okay to go with Cascade. A lot of four-color and a lot of maybe roguey decks mm-hmm. where you are 
having an I win combo out of something like Team of Rhinos could be a good place to be for an RCQ. Does that kind of kind of sum it up? Maybe the a thinking process someone might go through if they have that as an option in their in their definitely. And I also think the Cascade decks are the best thing to choose if you don't have a lot of familiarity with the format because four color and blue red are both really really. I, I want to say skill intensive, but they come up. They, the matchups come down to lining up your interaction right, and that takes knowledge of the format. Um, and that is less true with the Cascade decks. Um, their interaction tends to be um, more general and more obvious when to use. It's like they're going to kill my two rhinos in play. All right, force negation. That I don't want that thing to happen, or whatever it is, you know. Um, so it's. It, it requires less knowledge of the format to win with the deck. Um, they, they, you know, I wouldn't say they're not skill intensive. They still take a lot of skill to play and to, um, you know, like good players can do even better with them because they just can leverage um, how the decks play better. But at the same time, um, if I'm trying to pick something up, I just think it's the easiest place to start. All right. So I think that's great advice on the Cascade decks. Why don't we go on to the next one of this kind of super archetypes that we were talking about here at our tier one, tier zero, and that is decks that we described as Ragavan. But what we're really talking about here, honestly, really is Blue Red Murktide being the leader of that pack. Now, Murktide is the deck that Stan played this weekend at Evanston uh, as well. And Zach, Correct me if I'm wrong, but Murktide is not a deck that you've picked up a lot in this kind of meta of modern, right? I'm sure you've played against it a ton, but you've gravitated more towards four colors. It's gone. Is that right? I mean, that is true. Um, having said that, though, like I've played, like I, I own the deck. I've played it sure. a ton of times. Yeah. Um, and it's similar to my play style. Um, I think it's even like I really didn't like the Dragon's Race Channelers in there. I know people talk about how Dragon's Race Channelers is an unbelievably good card, but. I'm not a fan of it. I don't like the this thing has to turn sideways. It's not really my style of card. So, you know. It, I, it has always felt a little awkward to me in, in that deck because yeah. it's so aggressive. Yeah. And like you, you you have Ragavan and you, you know, we talked about, you know, there's a zillion reasons why you want Ragavan, but Murtide has always been like, okay, I got to have it turned on and it's still just okay sometimes when it's turned on. Yeah, yeah but the, the Ledger Shredder change is like really just, just been a true metamorphosis for the deck, in my opinion. It's just just such a more robust threat and it can, it can play offensive and defensive where G- dragon Race channel couldn't. And it just gives you uh, this kind of just switch plan that like you can be the control or the beat down in any matchup you want to be. unless it just be so nimble to just, you know, you're going to have game against the entire field playing this deck and oh man, it just has big flyers. Like that's yeah. just no other deck that can compete with it in the air. Murktide and, um, Ledger Shredder, Ledger Shredder just can regularly be a five, seven in the deck and it's not hard, um, to get it there. And that just is so easy to just like play defensive, play defensive. Oops. Like you're at 13. Cause I hit you with a Ragavan and a bolt or whatever. And I have a five, seven and an eight, eight Murktide swing, like block for one turn and then swing and kill you. And it's just, you know, it can just be so powerful, but, um, decks prepared to kill those threats. Like it doesn't do well against, so it can kind of. I guess I would say it's a meta call too, but I don't know. It's it's good. It's a really strong deck. Yeah, not to pick a fight or anything, guys, but um, I'm literally playing for Dragon oh, Age I know. Channeler right now. I saw now. your build, and I was I was like, oh, he's playing, what, 16 creatures? Basically, I was like, okay. Because were you playing Ledger Shredder too? It's, 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 yeah, it's eight one-drops, 
three Shredder, okay. three Merktide. Yeah, I don't hate yeah. that. I mean, I would play less DRC and more of the, the flying threats. You know, if you told me you wanted like two of them or something and the other threats, I could see that. The deck does really want to play from ahead. So DRC is one thing. It's like Ragavan where it's like, well, when you play this thing on one, it's going to be really good. But, you know, there's a lot of times you draw it later in the game. and it's like This wasn't quite it here. It was really hoping I have a thing that can block or whatever. But Well, I'll, I'll tell you why I've, I've put together this version of Merktide. Part of it is also just because like, I want Counterspell up on turn two as often as possible. And just having a bigger, bigger density of turn one plays, I think, just makes that Counterspell plan a little bit more appealing. And, and to your point, like I totally agree a late game DRC feels really bad sometimes. So does a late game Ragavan occasionally. And that's where like my three Ledger Shredders really like start to show what they're worth. And that's how I start growing them is like, yeah, I don't want like a stupid 1-1 because my... Per, my opponent had a game one endurance. It's just like, that's one of my favorite ways to grow it in the absence of like a cantrip that I can just as easily. Yeah, and I don't, like, I guess I wouldn't say that you're wrong to play them, you know, given that like that's the play style you're going for. Like, it makes a lot of sense. So, like, it's probably right for you. Me, though, like, I like, I value the switching in games a lot. And I just feel like the the 12 threat um Ragavan Ledger Shredder Merktide package with maybe two Brazen Bowers or whatever gives you that ability a little more. So like that's the direction I would go with it. But again, like I like really value people who can create a plan and play to it. Like I think they tend to do really well in magic tournaments. So like for you, if your plan is like early pressure plus counterspell on two plus interaction after that, like that makes sense. Like it's something um like if you want to interact or like try to enact, I guess I'd say that makes um a lot of sense you're coming to a turn with a plan i like it and and you mentioned that part of that plan too when we were talking about this stand right is that you you've actually have you cut all the archmages charge to fit creatures or some or is that is that how it's turned out yes yeah i'm not on charm right now i can buy that um there are meta or meta games where charm is really good especially like when hammer was good like the blue red decks really wanted charm exactly or Um, shadow which uh nobody plays right now or not many people but yeah i just don't want counterspell to be the like the best mode on that spell you know like i i I want to be able to like occasionally steal one drops and they're just right now i feel like whenever i'm playing merc titan leagues when i was playing with archmage's charm like i would just draw it and like just wouldn't be able to even cast it and if i could it was just like i would be tapping out to counter a spell and then my defenses were down my opponent would just beat me by double yeah that makes sense to me i mean i don't i don't hate dropping archmage's charm I guess my my biggest question about Murktide. So my some um, since just since we haven't talked before, Zach, my I'm pretty aggro. Like my playstyle is pretty aggro. Like I was pretty into like blue red prowess, and mm-hmm. I try to bring prowess back all the time. So so this meta right now, like these decks at the top of the meta for me have been have been kind of a hard transition for me to like stay super hyped about modern. As much as I love modern, it's hard to stay super hyped about these all these decks. So Murktide is the deck that I've started to you know kind of gravitate towards the most but the thing that's always bummed me out a little bit about murktide is just number one it's the it's always the deck that's the most represented in like every meta it seems to be the things that's the most represented and also it feels like when we get a good look at a meta where we get to see like the match win rate at aggregate for a big tournament it's always sub 50 percent and what do you what do you think about that what do you think is going on there where the deck still performs well in the hands of some players it's still top top eights but a lot of times at the aggregate it kind of doesn't look as good uh i mean i would say that it is 
that. Like, it's just not, um, it's not playing as many powerful cards as some of the other, like, decks in the format that are, like, going to bail you out of situations by themselves. Um, so, like, it gives you all the tools to win, but, like, there's no I win card in the deck, I guess I'd say. So, like, you really, really need to know how to put these tools together. And um, I think, you know, if you are playing it without very much experience, that can be hard to do sometimes. And it can be pretty easy to get outground by a deck that's just going to kill all your threats. So I think some of the best players can really put everything together with the deck and produce some good results. But if you aren't super familiar with it, it can be tough. Um, it can be tough to win with. So I think a lot of people want to play it because it feels like the cantrip deck, like the very consistent, like I'm going to always get to play a game style of magic that a lot of people like. So it's always going to be represented, but um, you know, that also means that, you know, you're going to have good players playing it and bad players playing it. And it's going to be all across the spectrum. Um, and that can just, you know, that that's never when good players in, you know, when everyone in the tournament from any skill level is playing it, it's going to have a hard time getting far away from 50% in either direction. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clearly, I think, the most pop, the most successful shell for Ragavan and Modern right right now. Definitely, like it's not, and it's kind of not even close, right? Yeah, I think I would agree. Yeah, I mean, pretty much have to agree with that. I guess Shadow is kind of coming back, and there's you know reasons to play Shadow at the moment, which I think um, ends up being a really similar deck to this deck anyway. I don't totally. Think it's almost the same threat package, and it's basically like is counter spells or hand disruption better on the weekend. Um, whatever so um yeah i i, I was a chat so my aggroness led me to shit like i played shadow for a long time too in addition to sure. prowess those are kind of like the two main decks that i i've played over the last couple of years um why it's it it was it was kind of what led me to murktide as well and it did strike me how close they they are in playstyle a little bit um, but the thing that's been really fascinating to me is just how much easier it is to deal with the mana base in in this. And so I, I was curious, wh- why do you think um, why do you think that Shadow is having a little bit of a resurgence as people look for another way to play Ragavan? I think the Shadow's matchup against four color has always been better than Blue Red's matchup against four color. Um, and when Shadow lost Luris, it was really struggling to figure out what the deck was going to look like going forward. It didn't have good builds yet after the Lurus ban. Um, and now that people are coming out with this like Ledger Shredder build of Shadow that involves, you know, basically Ledger Shredder plus Shadow plus Ragavan and in some cases Murktide, in some cases DRC. DRC. Kroxa yep. is still hanging around in most of these two. Exactly, yep. Um, so, you know, whatever the threat package is, it's like, it's, it's definitely containing Ledger Shredder now. Right. And that has really given the deck a resurgence. Um, but they play so similar that it's hard for me to like say one is so different than the others. I do think that overall you'd rather have Thoughtseize against four color just because of how enter the battlefield focus the deck is. It's just a really good way to effectively beat Solitude or beat Omnath, where right. a lot of spells like aren't effective at trading with those cards. So um I've liked I've liked Shadow's matchup in that perspective. In fact, um it's one of the few decks that has felt hard for me with four color mm-hmm. um which is fascinating because i think when people anticipated decks solitude based base removal packages coming out mm-hmm. they thought that was just going to spell spell the end for shadow yeah. right like this card just kills shadow every time it messes up your ability to cast other shadows yep. even like it, it can kill more than one shadow like um so it's um 
it's a real thing, but it's it's been interesting to see that people feel like it has a good matchup there because the thought sees. And I think one of the big things from this section too, we're just talking about these kind of decks is just ledger shredders made a huge difference for all of these ragavan decks somehow, which maybe didn't seem like it was going to happen like on its face, but it makes a ton of sense when you look at how these decks play. Oh yeah, and looting in these style of decks is just so good. Yeah, um, it is really. I mean, I know looting as an effective magic is just something that's been slept on for a long time um, in terms of its power. Like, you know, there's the classic, you want card advantage or um, even card selection where they're like, you know, a ponder or whatever you scry to. And looting doesn't have that. It like, you know, Faithless Looting got this rap for like not really having card advantage for a long right. time. And then people realize like, oh, wait, this is just a really powerful fair card you can play. And it's kind of the same with Ledger Shredder. Like, yes, it grows. Yes, that's part of the card. And it is a big part of the card. But the sculpting your hand is just so hard to measure, like, the power of that in a game, but also just so powerful. So it can kind of... Um, it gets undermeasured by players, I guess, a lot. Just, like, how effective that is at keeping you in a game interaction when you need it. Um, and just making sure that your games aren't lost to, like, oh, this is the game where I drew... Um, a lot of spells and no lands. It's the game where I was floating a little bit, but I got to discard a couple of lands and draw some spells, and all of a sudden it's just a fine game again. Yeah. Um, and and Dragon's Rage Channeler helps you with that some, mm-hmm. too, right? Because of the surveil triggers. But it's just so much easier to kind of... It's just a much better threat, really, Ledger Shredder is, and it's not graveyard-dependent anymore. You know, it's not. it doesn't die automatically, like to, to a Lava Dart, for example, when you play yep. it. On, without delirium so there's just a lot of it, it's an interesting kind of shift that happened there for sure but um ledger shredder certainly been an all-star every time i've tried to play it so i'm it's still a card that i'm annoyed i didn't anticipate how good it was going to be on the spoiler when i when i saw it for sure because you know everybody i think a lot of people looked at that and saw oh the set mechanic is on this let's just we can just ignore it because it's the set mechanic but well, yeah. and it also just reads like the set mechanic. You know, when you're reading it, it kind of reads like the set mechanic is like this throw-in on it. Right. Like, it's like, oh, and it has connive. But it's like, it turns out, like, the way it's set up, like, it feels like it wouldn't do it that often because it's like, you know, the player has to cast two spells in that turn or whatever. Um, but because it's either player and it's modern where there's just all these free spells anyway, like, it, and it's not just like it's the second instant or sorcery, it's like the second spell. Yeah. So, you know, it, oh, also Cascades like a big part of the format. Like, that's always two spells. Like the, the card just triggers way more than it looked like it would have when you were reading it in spoiler season. So I don't know. Just yeah. I'll start from that perspective. Terrified of playing this card in paper. I got to be honest. Like sure. I haven't, I haven't got to play any paper since Streets of New Capenna came out. And I'm like, I'm going to miss so many triggers. It I is awkward. Uh, I've seen just walking around the RPTQ I was at. I saw a lot of people missing the triggers that happened from their opponents. Yeah, like it doesn't feel like people miss their own triggers very often. Like they're usually like, "I'm going to play two spells and then can I?" And they do a pretty good job of that. But it's the like opponent lightning bolts your guy and then counter spells your spell and they like forget to connive there or whatever. Right, um, and that you get to resolve it before and all that kind, you know, all the timing and stuff. Of course. Yep. I, the other thing I think that's so interesting about it is like we talk about how hard <laughs> it is to kill because it's three toughness when it comes down. It usually gets to four toughness that same turn. I can't think off the top of my head of like how many other creatures we've gotten in the last year or two that are such good yeah. blocks and like it can both be a really good defender to just keep you stable and, and protect you against like a four, four rhino even that can then, 
when you're ready to close out the game, like turn sideways and suddenly hit for three or four in the air next to a Death Shadow or even a Merktide or whatever yep. else. Cards just great. All right, so to wrap up these decks, and we won't really talk. We'll talk. Maybe we'll have a minute to talk about the mono red kind of Ragavan decks a little bit later. The those mid rangey ones, but th- this is kind of if you're someone who likes to play from ahead, likes to be a, a little bit more on the creature threat kind of side. You're not trying to grind. You want to have good. You want to have interaction. These are the decks that you can pick up and and play. And and this is this is kind of like the best class of that kind of deck in the format right now. Yep. Yep. For sure. And I think um, it's particularly just so brutal for non-meta decks to beat blue red. Like when you show up with Belcher because you were mm-hmm. planning to beat four color, like you're probably going to beat four color. But wow, do you want to stay away from blue red? And kind of the same with Living End, like. They're going to get Blue-Red game one, but post-board when they don't have Bolt or Unholy Heat, and now those are Fluster Storms, like, right. good luck. Yeah. <laughs> they just board in Fluster Storm and, yeah, yeah, and a curse against curses. you. Like, uh, yeah. you. Hope you can yeah. win quick, because you're not winning a long game. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mostly wanted to play it because I just wanted to play Counterspell and Lightning Bolt again, like I did when I sure. played the deck in 1994, you know? <laughs> so. Sure, yeah, yeah, sure. All right, so last one that we had in the top tier here, and maybe this one's a transition to kind of the second tier decks is Yawgmoth, and that's mostly on the merits of what seems to be a really persistent good match win performance from this deck at high level events. Now Yawgmoth, for me, is a deck that I will never ever play. It is way too complicated <laughs> for me, and my, my paper collection is definitely nowhere near owning this deck, but um, it has been a slow build to being the best creature combo in the, de- in the format, and just one of the best consistent performers, especially over the last four or five months, I would say. Yep. Yeah, I think um, it's really good. I will say this deck is so bad against Fury. I actually played it at an SCG, I want to say three months ago at this point. I think it was SCG Pittsburgh, maybe? Uh, maybe Philadelphia. It was Philadelphia. It was an SCG in Philadelphia three, three or four months ago. Played it there. Um, I just got furied into the ground. And... Um, with Rhinos coming back, Rhinos is a Fury deck. Um, Murktide, I don't think plays Fury main, but often has them in the board. And then Four Colors, a Fury deck. Um, with Fury decks being out there, like y'all can have a hard time. Um, and it it can be a good choice. I don't think it's very good against Four Color or Murktide now. I think it was a lot better against Murktide when Endurance kind of hosed Murktide. Um, now that they have Ledger Shredder instead of DRC, that's not really as true. And I found the deck loses to Murktide's Flyers a lot. Um, but yeah, I just, it also, it had a really good matchup against Hammer, and Hammer is banned. So I, I don't know. I feel like it's just um, a really powerful deck, like clearly worthy of being in Modern's like decks you consider pile, but also it's just not well positioned right now at all. And it's not going to do very good against a lot of the top decks at the moment. I, I'm, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how like the Fury interaction plays out in practice when you're also talking about a bunch of undying creatures or is it in part just because fury will clean up all the mana dorks and then like the rhinos will just stonewall the undying creatures yeah so it's it's kind of all of it it's like to actually deal with these like if you're going to play red base removal in a yawgmoth um you're just really going to lose to undying like that's just the reality 
But the Undying Creatures aren't large. So, like, you can either have the game where they drew a lot of mana dorks and they were, like, counting on mana dorks to, like, fuel a Court of Calling-based hand or whatever. Um, and now all of a sudden you fury four mana dorks and it's, like, zero mana to kill four cards. It's just outrageous. Um, but it can also be the type of thing where it's, like, oh, I've got two bolts and a fury and they've got, um, like, two mana dorks and two strangle root geists or whatever. And then you, like, fury, make both of the strangle roots undie, kill their other two things, and then bolt, bolt the strangle roots. And now, again, they have no board. And, like, you didn't spend very many cards to do this. It's just zero, like, it's pyrokinesis or whatever. It's just so good against them. D- doesn't Wall of Roots kind of, like, complicate that somewhat just because Wall of that Roots can... certainly like, can. Either- like, yeah, I, I would agree that that um, can complicate it. But the other problem these decks have is just um, it's hard to get a Yawgmoth in play against the Unholy Heat Counterspell deck. Like, effectively, anyway. It's hard to, like, oh, I have three creatures in play already, so when I play Yawg, I can sack them and do these, sac- like, sacrificial draw value loops that Yawgmoth likes to do. Um that Yawgmoth really wants to play Yawgmoth onto a board that already has other creatures, and it's just so hard to do against Blue-Red. Like, you're either playing it onto a board that doesn't have creatures, or you're not resolving it on your boards that do have creatures. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't like the, the Yawgmoth side versus Blue-Red at all. This feels like the specialist deck, really, that's among these these four kind of decks that are doing really well like right now. And like I said, this one might be a half tier below the other three that we just talked about. But this is like the deck that really rewards you, I think, for practice and practice and, and just kind of like being a person who loves doing these kind of fidgety sacrifice aristocrats kind of stuff. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, I think there's a certain style of player that's going to love this deck. They're going to gravitate towards playing it. And honestly, it's a good deck. Um, Grist is a very, very powerful magic card. And I actually found when I was testing the deck that a lot of the, the games you won in the deck came from just playing quick Grist. And then it was like this like immense threat you're putting your opponent under like grist is just going to keep putting stuff in play and killing their things and threatening an alt and just really put a lot of pressure on the opponent and then because they have to start like really casting a lot of spells to try and keep up with grist itself now the way is clear you're all going to play and then you just win from there it the deck's really good at doing that but the hands that don't have grist can just be pretty underwhelming sometimes like i've just played against the deck a lot where it's like uh all right they have a bunch of mana dorks and then like a strangle root geist and then like a grist and a yog. But if I answered the grist and the yog, then they just have mana dorks and a strangle root geist. And like, you know, those are fine cards in the grand concept of the deck, but like they are not nearly as strong as the cards four color is playing. And they're just going to get destroyed by a four color deck as the game continues on from there. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think as far as the purposes of our discussion here, like why would you pick up this deck to play for an RCQ? Because you're someone who already plays this deck all the time is is why right because you need you need a graduate's degree in yog to be able to i think really want to play it at high level i mean take whatever you want if you're going to have fun but if you're thinking about trying to win that's not that's not a place that you want to pick up a deck like this for for sure i will say it is really really good into a field that's not particularly interactive when you're playing against like a lot of like Charbelcher slash tron slash amulet slash whatever like decks that aren't going to kill your board or interact with your board it can be extremely strong and it also is like particularly good against decks that aren't interactive with you and not combo-y so like burn or i guess amulet or not uh hammer is like kind of combo-esque but it's not really like against those small creature decks that are just like trying to attack like yogmoth destroys those decks so if those decks start making a comeback like it might be a really good call but just the way the meta is right now where it's just all these decks trying to interact with you with burn spells and solitudes like 
it's not the time for it. I, I will say I went one two drop at EGC. My win was against Yogg, where I kind of just ran them over with Murktide. Especially post board, like once I take out my Ragavans and spell pierces, it feels like every card against them yep. is just so yeah, good. It's really tough. And um Yogg, like uh, it just it really doesn't want to see the card in holy heat. Because it's just one of the, it's like one of the few ways right. it's like actually a good answer to grist in the format. It's really tough for the deck. Sounds to me like you really like playing on Holy Heat right now. Too. Holy Heat is, I mean, arguably one of the best removal spells ever printed. Um, yeah, fully agree. It's it's very very good. You need like you do need to be able to, you know, consistently trigger Delirium, which you know kind of goes without saying with the card. But when you are doing that, it just feels like you're supposed to be including it and. Um, you know, like I said, I think putting Bobble into four color, like I, I'm happy to put this random artifacts cycling monstrosity that is Urza's Bobble in my four color deck just to turn on heat because heat's that good. Yeah. All right. So we got a little bit of time left. Why don't we take a look at the kind of the best of the rest, or maybe not even the best of the rest. Maybe we just talk a little bit about the most interesting of the best of the rest right now, because, you know, we could talk a little bit about burn and Tron and hammer all decks that we feel like are in various states of being good or bad right now. You know, there's lots of anecdotal results. We can say, like, like I said earlier, hammer, there was four, four hammer decks in the, the the top eight of the challenge this week. Burn was the second most represented deck at SCG con, you know, Tron, God love it. Tron just never seems to go away, regardless of what's going on. And especially if you're playing in paper, especially with people who maybe haven't played paper in two or three years or played a ton of modern in a couple of years, you know, there's going to be Tron players there. There's going to be Jund players at this kind of level event all the time. Do any of those old format staples stand out to you as something that you feel like would be something you would consider right now? When you look at that list of kind of the decks that, we're good six months ago, eight months ago, kind of. Uh, I mean, so, you know, I could be like the podcasting and just say one, but honestly, no, like I just would yeah. play one of the tier one decks. Yep. Um, but I will say about hammer, um, hammers in a weird spot right now. And you'll notice like for a long time, it was like, it was modern's premier deck for like a good six months while Luris was legal. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, it just has not recovered from the Luris ban yet, in my opinion. Like, people just have not found the consensus best way to build it. And I think if you just look at the deck, it just still feels like like people just like took Luris out. You know, like they just it's still like the same builds where it's like all the same cards. Like we built it around his companion restriction. And now like they're doing it's basically the exact same list it was when there was Luris, but they have like a cauldra or something in there, like one or one. Uh, nettle cyst or whatever yeah it's like, like the kind of crusher bot lists yeah it's really into some of those three mana artifacts and culture complete yep. yeah and I, I do feel like it just needs to reinvent some way i'm not sure what that exactly looks like but it just feels like it needs something else and it just hasn't found that yet um like you know it, it kind of feels like it's in the same spot shadow was right before ledger shredder was printed where it's like oh what is shadow doing now what threats and then oh ledger shredder boom perfect now we have our threat base the, the deck's back yeah, I and I, like- let me tell you, I played Shadow in that that spot at Dal- at SCG Dallas, and it was not the right thing to do. And then, yeah, as soon as Ledger Shredder came out, I was like, "Oh, cool! I don't have to play Kaido main anymore." You know? <laughs> yep, sure. And I do feel like Hammer's kind of in that same spot, but it just hasn't found that thing yet. And I don't like I haven't put enough time into Hammer to know, but like 
either there's some old cards that we don't know about that are like perfect for the deck and people just aren't experimenting enough, but they'll find it eventually because it's modern and we always find these things or the card isn't printed yet. And maybe, I mean, I don't know, we've got Brothers War coming up. We've got Dominaria United. Those do historically tend to be artifact based sets. Um, you know, maybe there's a, there's a chance Hammer's going to get some upgrades in the near future and be a deck again, but just for right now, it's just, it's just really not in my opinion. And it's weird because Urza's Saga, I still think is one of the best, just most powerful cards in the format by a mile. Yeah, so, I, I would note it's interesting that of the decks that we talked about, of that that top tier, that is the card that's sort of missing from those decks right now, right? None of them yep. run Urza's Saga. Yep, and I did say earlier that um, if I was going to play an artifact deck, I would play a blue-white Yorion version that's playing Saga and would be like affinity-based with Thought, Thought Monitor Thought Monitors, Urza. Yeah. Um, Yep. And I think those style decks actually have a lot of potential and just haven't been found yet either. Um, but I don't know, the, the companion mechanics is just so good. So like ways to make a lot of mana and use Yorion powerfully are really good. And uh, you see Four Color doing it with Omnath in Yorion, and those decks can do it with Urza in Yorion. So I wouldn't be surprised if that, that style of deck wins a tournament in the near future. Like I think if someone finds a good build for it, they easily could. Yeah, I mean, those blue-white affinity decks are around. Right, mm-hmm. like they're solidly kind of tier two right now. People are into them. I haven't seen too many that have Yorian in them too, but it makes a ton of sense. Like you said, companion's broken, Yorian's broken. Try to find a way to make it work, and Urza can can enable that. So I, I mean, I, I like that call. Stan, what do you, what do you think about these? As far as like, is anything was anything interesting to you that you saw at the RCQ that you were at, or anything like that? Well, I got knocked out oh, by yeah. the combo. I thought that was interesting. I, I I had no idea what I was up against game one until they cast Tameshi, and I was like, now I know this card and deck exists, and yet I know nothing about now, how, how it works. how are you going to Lotus Bloom me over and over again? Isn't that what it is? <laughs> if, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And I if, eventually, he's just like going through his cards very politely, and I just stop him and say, do you have an infinite loop that you can demonstrate or determine us to kill? And he's like, yes, I'm just going to do this, this, and this. And I was like, let's go to game two. So I thought that was interesting. I, I I do think it's like noteworthy that there were eight hammer decks in today's modern challenge, and I'm curious like if we can try to infer what it was about that deck, whether it was this week or today specifically after the results of yesterday's challenge were shared out. That you know players like Laplessian and other excellent Moto grinders like identified an opening for this deck that just. The only list I saw so far is Laplistians. Like, it's not doing anything innovative. Like, it's just a blue white version that's trying to maybe recover the loss of your or, um, uh, what's the Laris cat? <laughs> I've already forgotten yeah. her name. Yeah, tr- trying to recover the loss of Luris a little bit with reality chip, perhaps. But like, otherwise, it's just like go fast, try to win as quickly as possible so that you don't have to like try to grind. I have no idea. I looked at the some of the lists. I mean, I think Laplace Jam was even playing for a four of Ingenious Smith. And I was like, I thought that that card wasn't really efficient enough. I mean, I've definitely played against it in some of these kind of like white affinity lists or blue-white affinity lists that are kind of like, um, that made that card huge, you know what I mean? But I definitely, I don't think that that's something that's going to suddenly make it hop back up to the top of the, the meta or something like that. Um I love the idea. I do. There's something there with that core. There's something else there with Urza Saga. I just don't know what 
what it is right now. Um, yeah, I mean, Hammer Time is like, it's still good. Like, it was the best deck in Modern while Luris was legal, I think. Um, and Luris obviously is a huge blow. I mean, that is an unbelievable magic card. Um, and I, like, I don't, there's still something there. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the deck is unplayable um, by any means. It's obviously still good. There's stuff happening there, but I just don't think the, the right build's been found yet. So it's like, you know, if you told me you wanted to work on Hammer Time, you were like, I'm going to put some time into it and see if I can figure this out. Like, I tell you, that's probably a worthwhile thing to do because it is the type of deck that you can easily take down a tournament with if you get it right. Um, maybe that's what's happening in the, in the builds from today. I haven't actually looked at them yet. But I, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe someone found it. Maybe we have the build and it's good to go. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to talk. I personally, after flipping through it, I'm going to chalk it up to variants, or maybe just a bunch of people. Something happened where there was, you know, not as much. There, there wasn't as much solitude floating around or something. Half the top eight, though, like it, it's really good players were on it too. Like you said, Lapless Gen. But I don't know. We'll have to see how it develops. But th- this happens in top eight in challenges all the time there'll be a challenge where all of a sudden there's four living end decks in the top eight and you're like okay i guess you know and that's the, that is the type of stuff that like zach said earlier in the episode will influence an nrg trial or will influence the real you know the real spiky players who go to these rcqs to be like okay i love hammer time this happened over the weekend it's time for me to sleeve up hammer time and see what happens because i was really good with it six months ago and i'm just gonna try it you know like that definitely can happen but i don't think there was I don't think there's been a definitive reason for it to happen, though. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I also find interesting about Laplishan's blue-white list is that... So, Harry MTG from Midweek Metagame, uh, he's a streamer. Check him out. He's been talking about lately why Hammer is struggling post-Lurus is because it, in his opinion, has the worst top decks in the format. Like, if if you're just living out the top of your deck, you're never really going to recover. And I wonder if part of the plan now is just like play dredge, a dredge strategy game one, like get there as quickly as possible, as as linear and aggressive as you can, and just like spell pierce um, is, is going to be your protection to like kind of get your combo through. And then post board, it's a very clean sideboard where you have like Lavinia's and Teferi's to deal with Cascade decks. It's just like the surgical answer to zero mana spells. And you have prismatic endings and march of other worldly lights if you need to like deal with the problematic permanent that you're worried about on your opponent's end. Some extra one drops for Urza Saga and like Nettle Cyst if you need to go big with your Stoneforge Mystic. And I, I wonder if they just maybe like cleaned up their games two and three to deal with whatever people might throw at them to try to solve the problem that you have by not being able to grind anymore. So Zach, before we let you go, I did have one or two decks I wanted to ask your impression of uh, that are in this kind of sleeper area. And one that's been having a lot of stuff going on the last couple of weeks is in- Indomitable Creativity. What, what, first off, what do you, what do you think of this deck? Just curious. Um, and also, is there a particular reason that that might be getting more popular suddenly right now? I think that a lot of people think it has a good matchup against four caller is kind of the main reason i think but it, there's been a lot going on there over the last couple weeks yeah i think it probably does have a good matchup against four color um especially the the ones using valakit like land-based kills against four color are tough for that deck um so if you're gonna like indomitable into like primeval titan plus valakit like that is just really that's a problem for four color 
Um, so I, I don't know if you're building it that way, I think it could be great against the deck. Um, and it is the kind of thing you want to be doing to beat that deck. You either want to get under it or go way over the top. And this is going way over the top. I don't actually think the Archon of Cruelty or whatever. I think it's Archon of Cruelty. Yeah, the Archon versions. Yeah, yep. it goes far enough over the top. So, like, I would stay away from that. But, you, like, if you are going to prime time in Velikit, like, I can get behind it, I guess. Yeah. We didn't talk about Titan either for what it's worth that that didn't pop up on my list of things titan solidly tier two right now right like but like you said land base kills are good um yeah i just the deck is just struggling right now with the way four colors switch this like dress down unholy heat solitude version and that's like really what titan wants to stay away from and titan's also gonna have a really tough time beating blue red because they just have blood moon and on top of Blood Moon, a bunch of counter spells and flying threats. That and they've dressed under. down too, quite yep. often. Yeah. Yep. And it's yep. just, it's just not the right time to be playing Amulet. Um, you know, it's still a powerful deck. It's doing some really powerful things and it can have the most absurd like turn ones, twos, and threes in the format. Not really ones so much, but some of the best turn twos and threes in the format. Um, but it just, I don't like its matchups right now. Stan, any other decks you wanted to chat about before we kind of break yeah i mean do you think the the new cascade deck with like omnath elementals do you think that's has the legs to keep up with the other cascade decks that have proven themselves i think it's probably worse than them because it's a little less interactive but it's going to be fine like anytime you're doing what those cascade decks do which is just free spells with like a game-winning three mana spell it's gonna be good um but yeah i don't know i think overall i'd rather play the other two but maybe it's better than Living End right now. I don't know. Um, I think it's certainly one that you like has a pedigree. Like it's close enough to decks that are doing great that I wouldn't say you're wrong for playing it. Yeah, I like how it's just like Cascade is good, Omnath is good. Why yeah, not have both? Exactly. Hey, we're even going to put Risen Reef in this one for you. Risen Reef is a heck of a card. It that, really is. Or, yeah, for decks that are trying to like, exploit these elementals, it is very, very good with those. Or just get a ton of uh, just get a ton of permanents on the board for some reason. That works too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Zach, any any last thoughts about people that uh, you might offer to people as they're thinking about getting ready for for their RCQs? Do you want to tell people to stay hydrated, bring some bring some snacks, that kind of <laughs> stuff? Or <laughs> I think I think everybody does give those, but I am really big on the staying hydrated thing. I've actually bought like hydration supplements that I bring with me to events now, and it's been. Uh, really good for me, I guess. I feel like I've been really prepared at my events, whereas I feel like some of the people I'm playing have struggled in later rounds, and I just have felt prepared. So, hydration supplements—is that like smaller bottles of water? No, well, I just have like a refillable water bottle and these like little tabs that are essentially just like what's in Gatorade Zero, but they're just in like a tablet form. You can just plop it into water, and then just like it's like carrying like six Gatorades or whatever to an event. So you just stay really hydrated. You're good. Um, but I, I, I do think people forget, like, it's one thing to sit at your house and play moto and like be able to take like a break and like, you know, in between rounds three and four, I'm going to go eat a meal or whatever. Like that's all well and good, but in actual paper tournaments, like they get longer and you don't necessarily have time to like go eat. So like remembering to take care of yourself matters, I think. And I think, um, it's the type of thing, you know, people overlook always, but it matters in those big events. So probably do it i i was i definitely joke about it because it is what people say but every time i go to a big event like i do always find myself at like round three being like 
I've got to do something like either it's getting a Gatorade, like you said, or it's getting some food. Like I have to, I do have to remind myself to do it. So yeah, keep it in mind. Yes. Can we do this on band talk? Do you want to do the on band talk? talk? We're down for oh, it. If you, yeah. if you are. Yeah. Let's do it. Yes. Okay. Okay. I love on band talk. Everyone else, everyone else hates it. But it was always like my favorite thing to just get into it about the <laughs> bands. Uh, uh, well, I, okay. So if, in case people don't know what Zach is talking about, I threw in some notes at the end uh, for us to have a little bit of fun here with a tweet that well-known magic. Well, first off, I really think he's more of a lifestyle brand right now. Andrea, Andrea Mangucci. I'm jealous of everything he has on Twitter, <laughs> the trips he takes, the food he eats. Aside, oh my gosh. the food yeah. is so good. His EU so citizenship. Good. Aside from the, aside from the fact that he was, you know, former world champion and all those kind of things, is an excellent player and a nice guy. Um, but he put out a tweet that was basically, you know, we, he's been playing more and more modern lately. He plays a lot of everything. Um, but he put up a kind of a tier list for banning, unbanning cards. Now. There's a lot of modern cards to go through. We're not going to talk about all of them. Needless to say, he has a category that's called Never Unbanned with a lot of stuff, a category with Consider with Caution, and a category that are cards that are wrongfully imprisoned. And there are 10 cards in the wrongfully imprisoned bucket. Now, Zach, since you you wanted to dive in, I, I saw that you mentioned in a tweet that you agreed with most of the things on this list. And they're surprising ones for me, but I, I would love to hear the ones that maybe, you know, your impression of this or maybe what you'd be most excited to have on band from this list. Well, I mean, like I agree to a lot with like to a large extent with some of the things he said. I will say there are some cards that are just like, I don't know why this is still banned, like Green Sun Zenith for one. It's like, why, why is this card banned? Like, can we unban Green Sun Zenith to give the green creature decks something? Like they, they feel like they need it. Uh, maybe birthing pods too good, but like, come on, green sun seems totally fine to me. Not worried about people ramping into um, Dryad Arbor with it or something like that. Sure, go for it. I, I fury you, yeah, fury you, stone rain you. Like you, this was why did you do this? Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I feel like that's totally fine. I really think preordain is still just unfairly banned for no reason. I think it got banned in like twenty. 14 and that's like eight years ago and when it was banned it was one of the best cards in the format and now if it gets unbanned i don't even think it's a four of in any deck in the format maybe maybe blue red murktide plays three copies maybe it's good enough that you play four i don't know but if the card's on the ban list i'm not even sure i want to play four like yeah makes you wonder a little bit i mean yeah um and then another one for me is I feel like Dark Depths could be on band too. So I saw this in your tweet and I was like, "Wait, what? Dark Depths?" Just cuz it's it's not it's not um it's it's not easy enough to enable here to really probably be a warping combo, you think? Yeah, I just think it's slow in modern. You don't have some of the like really busted cards that de- like Legacy plays with it like Chrome Mox or Mox Diamond, like these ways to like really get it going fast. And it's just a 2020 that is going to get owned by every white removal spell people are already playing. And the deck like built that way is going to be really weak to blood moon, which a bunch of decks could also play. And I don't know, maybe it gives primal Titan decks a boost, which is like not that big a deal because they're not very good anyway. So I don't know. I think that one could be unbanned, maybe unbanning dark depths plus green sun and like the same unbanned would be um, a lot. (laughs) 
a yeah. lot, exciting but, week dump. Yeah, it'd be a lot, <laughs> but like it would also be really interesting for the format. Like there'd be just so oh, yeah. so many new decks people would try. I um, think that part. So one thing that I, I'm feeling from from some of what you're saying here too is just maybe using the unbanned list to try to shake up the format a little bit, which I think is was a fair goal, honestly, in the moment that we're in right now in particular. Yeah, it's just really stifled right now. Modern Horizons was just such a powerful set. It's just so hard to understate how powerful that set is and how format-defining it is. And it's like almost every single card on this list was banned before those cards existed in this format. And maybe with like a normal set, like you can be like, oh, well, it was broken before a normal set came out. It's still going to be broken. Like a set like Modern Horizons, it's kind of like... Well, we should maybe relook at some of these because they probably were too good when they got banned, and now that the format is what it is, they probably just aren't. Probably just fine. Like another one that he has not never unbanned that I've been saying for three years should be unbanned is Umazawa's Jite, which is just like I don't know, totally fine in my opinion. I don't even know if it's good. Like creatures already get really punished by Fury and Solitude, and like Jite would punish them more. But like to use a Jite, you have to put it on a creature. So like I think. It's the type of thing that a creature deck could use to exist in this format that's really hostile towards it. Um, and at least give you some game against like those pitch elementals. Like you can, you know, it's it's probably not great for you, but like if you're you get hit in with a jit and they solitude you, you can at least like kill the solitude with the jit counters and then like there's some back and forth there. Um, so I, I don't know. I can see that one coming off. Um, and then there are some other ones on there that are just like you could probably unban these because they weren't really the problem to begin with, like his wrongfully imprisoned thing. Yeah. But also, like, do we need to? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, they're not like that I can't. I, I mean, Golgari Grave Troll. Is, I, yeah, it, I cannot abide unbanning that card. It's the only card on this list that's been banned twice. I do think Punishing Fire could come back. I don't even think it's very good, but I think it could come the back. The one that's really head scratcher for me on his wrongfully imprisoned list. So there's two. So, like, Astrolabe. And Field of the Dead, I'm kind of like, I don't know about unbanning these. And these are, just to be clear, these are in Manguchi's wrongfully imprisoned area where he's kind of advocating for them to be unbanned. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, Field of the Dead needs to stay. I'd so much rather see Dark Depths unbanned than Field of the Dead. It's just such a miserable card. Um, and Astrolabe can rot. That is just an abomination. It feels to me like it's in the same category as Taxian Probe, where it's just doing too much stuff for not enough cost and like not a fun enough thing that it's worth having if that makes sense it's just like so free on so many levels and it's not that fun of a card it's not like someone's like oh i want to play the astrolabe deck because i love astrolabe decks it's like you put astrolabe in your deck because the other cards are fun and cool but astrolabe just is like kind of free broken enabler thing yeah i feel like for, for astrolabe to exist like so many other cards need to go away yep yep it would be so good. Four color would like four color Yorion getting Ashley back is just not. No, we don't need that right now. Of course, I just want Faithless Looting and Splinter Twin back. I don't think any of those are ever going to happen. I, I don't know. I could, I could see Looting maybe coming back. I don't hate it. Um, I kind of liked what they tried to do by like printing these like sort of like two mana Lootings. Like they've done Faithful Mending and just like Faithless Salvaging. Like they, they've been like kind of trying to give it to you without like actually giving it to you and those ones aren't there yet so so i think we're a little bit ways but i would like to see maybe like their next attempt because i don't know if we need looting back because the flashback on looting was always pretty heinous in my opinion but i would like to see like a careful study reprint coming to modern in the near future maybe just a red draw to discard two 
without the flashback. Oh, just like, the color shifted? Yeah, like I think that could be a card that Modern could handle. We'd, we'd actually been back during the Modern Horizons. Both sets were kind of like maybe careful men, or uh, careful study will end up, you know, maybe they'll print it into the format. Um, maybe someday. Yeah, I'm really surprised they didn't, but maybe that's Modern Horizons 3. I guess it's very possible that it is. All right, well, listeners, if you have a problem with anything that we've said here in the band area, tweet at us, you know, sound off in the comments, as they say, on the internet. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff to consider. There's a lot of cards on the modern band list. Um, yeah, so I imagine eventually, sometime soon, something's going to come off this list. I don't know what it is, but... Yeah, if, if you liked our takes, tweet at the Dive Down. If you want to get in a fight, tweet at A22EN. That's Zach Allen on Twitter. That's Zach Allen Jitte should be unbanned. Let's go. I can't believe that Mystic Sanctuary and Once Upon a Time are on, on Ranguchi's Consider with Caution list. Honestly, I'm like, those cards are too good. Yeah, no, no. Mystic Sanctuary is fine. Just let me play with Mystic Sanctuary again. I would really appreciate oh, it. Oh, Stan would appreciate it too. I, I liked playing with Mystic Sanctuary, but I. Oh, gosh. That was rough. Yeah, people just hate playing against Control. Yeah, that card needs to go away. Um, but. You know, if they want it, like, Mystic Sanctuary is in, like, the one card on the list I was looking at. It was like, yeah, I know that one's not okay, but if they unbanned it, like, I'd be really happy. So, you know, I can maybe get behind it, but it probably shouldn't be unbanned. I, I'm looking at this list right now. Last last thing on this is I've been, you know, I'm about to finish my basement, and I have all these banned cards, and I was going to make just, like, a big card holder behind me to be my backdrop that's just four of all the cards that I have in this list that are banned, which is, like, way too many of them <laughs> I have to, to put oh, in yeah. here. Uro, Oko. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I had so many of these foil too. It Did was you? Really, really sad. <laughs> 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 oh, such is life though. Zach, this was so much fun. It's always a pleasure to be able to tap into your brain and experience and, and kind of hear what you're thinking about formats and, and, and decks. And um, this was really valuable for me. And I hope our listeners got a lot of it as well. Before we let you go, where can people find you on the internet? Sure. So you just mentioned it, but you can find me at A22EN. Um, I'm not really making content right now. Um, I've been trying to try to run a store recently. I guess maybe you can find some content next week uh, on Twitch. I think it's going to be broadcast on the Swish, Swish Gaming's YouTube channel. So you'll be able to see some modern next week if you want to do that. But that's, that's uh, basically the only place I'm at right now. I guess you can find me sometimes on the dive down. Well, we hope so. We'd love to have you back for sure. So appreciate you coming on. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the next time we chat, it'll actually be in person. I can put a mic in your face. And are are you coming to Mundelein? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Try? I, like, I, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to brag. I just had such a good week at the last NRG that I just put myself in this like yeah. leaderboard spot where it's just, just unexcusable for me to just not show up to the next ones because it would like. Right. Um. I guess that's that's one other thing I, I wanted to mention because now that you guys are. Um, partnered with NRG um, and it's uh, you know a tournament I started to dedicate a lot more time to. Um, I guess we should shout them out too because you can find me there on their coverage. They've been putting me on. I really appreciate that. Um, but they've been doing such a good job with their circuit. It really was, you know, I started going after COVID. I didn't, I didn't even take them seriously before COVID to be quite honest. And I started going after COVID and the first couple I went to, you could tell, they were new to it. They were still trying to get their feet wet, trying to figure out how to go about running a successful tournament series. And I just feel like the work they've put in since the beginning of them, a beginning of, I guess, organized play returned after COVID 
they've just really, really upped their game. They're putting on a great show over there. Um, they're just doing a really good job with it. And I've really appreciated how they run the events um, and how professional and smooth they run. And it's just been a really good time. So um, be I, I'd need a good reason to skip them at this point. They're just great run events that do a lot for the magic community and they're a ton of fun. So, yeah, we agree. I mean, like, like, like we said, I, I wasn't kidding when I said earlier that I really think that Norm and the team at, at energy are, are really doing a great service to saving paper competitive magic specifically in the Midwest right now. But I think just generally, um, you know, it's been great to watch. It's been great to see the caliber of players that have been showing up. You and uh, everybody else in the in the top 20, 30 of this leaderboard is just stacked with with well-known players, great players that it's great to see on coverage again. So, um, you know. Well, and I, I will say, too, like, um, at, at first, when we first started playing these six, seven months ago or whatever, um, it really was just a Midwestern thing. But they've been doing such a good job lately. I'm starting to get messages from players they like I played with on the SCG tour a while ago saying, well, wait a minute, we're starting to take note. Like they're they're doing they're putting on a like a real show over there. Like maybe it's time we start traveling to these. And I think the momentum is there. I think people are really excited about the circuit. And I think um, you're gonna start seeing them expand too. I think they're like their schedule shows they're starting to go a little bit further in their range of like where they're gonna schedule events. Um and it just feels like it's got all the upward momentum right now. It's just really cool to see what they're doing. Yeah, and it's nice that their events are like six weeks apart too. I, th- I think that also makes it a little easier to like start to travel to one or, and and the other rather than like in the heyday of SCG. It was it was every Dude, weekend. Oh my god, I can't. Yeah, no, the SCG. I loved SCG. Don't get me wrong, and for what it was back in the day, it was this truly special place for Magic, in my opinion. Um, I'm sad it's gone, but if there was ever one complaint I had about the SCG tour when I was on it was. Yes, the events were like too frequently together. It was so tough to make it to them, and especially like I, the one year I tried to qualify for their players' championship. I just remember the last half of the season just being a, just a grind, man, just awful. The you'd want to skip events, but you just couldn't. And there was an event like every every other week, basically, and just so much magic. But and travel, um, you're right too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, at least back then it was a little cheaper, so that that was nice. But the way Energy's doing it right now is great. Um, we. I, I haven't had I haven't talked to a person who's gone to one and thought it was a bad time yet, which is rare because you know when you put that many people in one place, like someone's gonna have a bad time and probably have a negative experience. Like it's just bound to happen, and it just doesn't really feel like it is happening. So I don't know. I'm enjoying it. Well, you can't get a much better endorsement than that. Yeah, and of course it's a very biased endorsement from the number one seat in the leaderboard. But who else would you rather hear from than the person who's doing best? Well, out? I mean, you can say it's biased, but like I'm number one because of that, right? Like. I honestly, I wouldn't be going to the events if they weren't good. I mean, that's just the reality. Like I'm skip. I, you know, there's an SCG this weekend and I didn't travel to it. Um, which says a lot because three years ago there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a chance in hell I was going to miss an SCG. So, um, the fact that I just skipped one because I'm preparing for the energies, I think says something to a lot of people, you know, who would know my past about wanting to go to these SCG events. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the reality of magic in 2022. Love to hear it. Well, thank you again, Zach. Always a pleasure. Excited to see you soon. I do think that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet out there, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. 
Make sure to check out Zach Allen over on Twitter at A22EN. It's like Allen, but instead of ones, it's twos. Beautiful. Absolutely brilliant. You can also reach us on Twitter at the dive down all one word. You can email us the dive down at gmail.com. Of course, you can support the show over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic Online with the Mana Trader sub. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards using promo code the dive down 15. You can also support your own paper play by buying cards from Nerd Rage Gaming. If you use promo code DIVE8, get 8% off every purchase of cards over at Nerd Rage. Of course, you can also support us with some fine grooming products at Barrister and Man. The Dive Down 15 gets you 15% off your first order over at Barrister and Man as well. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play more. Modern!